Well, if you'll turn in your Bible with me, please, this morning to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, please. I want to thank you uh, for praying for me this week as I was not feeling well. You might have discerned some in the voice, but um, so we're going to move Thanksgiving up a Sunday here, and I'm preaching really an old sermon. Some of you have heard this a few times. Now, if you have been here less than six years, you, I don't think I've heard this sermon, according to my count here. Uh, and we want to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, and we're going to use um, a Puritan named Richard Baxter as our primary teacher. Uh, Richard Baxter was a Puritan minister from the town of Kidderminster in England. And the Lord used Richard Baxter to bring about really a remarkable little reformation in a relatively small community uh, through his ministry. One of the things that Richard Baxter was most noted for was uh, the ministry of household visitation. So if you wonder where I get some of that idea to do household visits, pastoral visits, uh, really... um, I personally was influenced in part by uh, Richard Baxter, as well as um, the minister that I served under when I was an intern for two summers up in Maryland, uh, Dr. Tom Martin at Knox Orthodox Presbyterian Church. So Richard Baxter um, was not only a a wonderful writer and teacher, but he also uh, did as the apostle himself uh, taught from house to house. And so, though actually he made them come to his office. <laughs> but he lined up so many appointments that uh, time-wise it made sense. He had a much bigger congregation. Let's pray together. We'll read the scripture, and then I want to talk about the theme of Thanksgiving. I know it's not this Thursday, it's a week away, but we'll get ready early here. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that your Spirit would help us to have grateful hearts this morning. We need, Lord, your Spirit to do anything. So we ask, Lord, that you would preach to us this morning and that you would help us not only to be hearers of the Word but doers of it. Lord, grant us a heart that is grateful for the many mercies we have. Help us, Lord, as a church to be thankful. Help us, Lord, this Thanksgiving to be thankful. Help us, Lord, wherever we are for Thanksgiving Day, Lord, we might uh, focus much upon you uh, for the mercies that we receive. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7. Our text this morning, Colossians 2, 7. I'll just start at the beginning of the sentence in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed. And here's our portion for us this morning. And overflowing with gratitude. Amen. Well, we are going to use Richard Baxter here, and in good um, Puritan tradition, he has 18 points, so if you are taking notes, I will try not to lose you um, and remind you where you are in this message here. Richard Baxter 
was born November 12th, uh, which is, hey, that's today. This is his birthday. <laughs> Uh, 1615, so happy birthday to uh, Richard Baxter. 1615, um, he lived a pretty long life for the 17th century. He died in 1691, December 8, 1691. So for uh, his age, uh, lived uh, quite a long life. He was an English Puritan minister, as I said, in the town of Kidderminster. Uh, that is spelled K-I-D-D-E-R. M-I-N-S-T-E-R, Minster, not Minister, Kidder Minster, just like Westminster, not Westminster, okay? Just so you guys know. Um, Baxter wrote a, a book, wrote several books, but one of them was called The uh, Christian Directory. And in this book, it's a, really a book of admonitions and exhortations and instruction that help you in very practical ways to deal with questions that often arise in the Christian life. You know, what should I do? How should I make a decision? How should I spend my time? What, what should my house look like? Um, you know, how much should I, what should I do at work? And what about leisure time? And it just covers all kinds of things um, that, that we deal with in the Christian life. Um, you know, tithing, what do you do about you know, child-rearing, all kinds of subjects. So he has a section on, on gratitude that I want us to uh, reflect on again this morning. Now, Baxter, in his introduction on this subject, says that uh, we should be thankful to God. He is our creator, he's our redeemer and regenerator. Uh, that thankfulness should be the very temperament of our soul, he says. And it ought to also faithfully be expressed by our tongue and our life. That is, the whole of our life should be one of thanksgiving. Now, Baxter acknowledges that thanksgiving is of no benefit, he says, to God. God does not need anything and does not need even our thanksgiving. But, he said, however, God is pleased with thanksgiving because it suits our natural condition. He says, if we are an ungrateful person, he says that we are like a grave. He compares the ungrateful to a grave that simply devours and gives nothing back. All the mercies of God, says Baxter, are buried in an unthankful person. Now, Baxter begins his treatment on this subject asking the question, what is true thankfulness and what is counterfeit thankfulness? What is true thankfulness versus counterfeit thankfulness? Now, Baxter says that true thankfulness, first of all, prefers spiritual and everlasting mercies, even before those that are mercies indeed, but are corporal or transitory. That is, it's easier, in some ways, for a carnal person to be thankful about certain blessings than other blessings. Um, he even says that even your dog will skip and play after it is eaten and show that he is very pleased with his state. But a human being uh, has a soul 
And we ought to show, uh, our, our, because we have a soul, thankfulness to things that are spiritual. And that means that we should delight in the things of God as well as the things, the blessings that he gives uh, to the flesh. True thankfulness, he says, kindles in the heart of a believer to love the giver, that is, to love God even above the gifts that God gives us. A, a thankful heart will always bring your heart nearer to God. He says, carnal thankfulness springs from self-love. That is, we love to be satisfied. And we can be thankful for that, but a Christian will be thankful even beyond that, in that we will be thankful for the God who blesses us. Um, we, we are to have childlike thankfulness that makes us love the Father. True thankfulness inclines us to please God and to want to evangelically obey Him. Uh, true thankfulness, says Baxter, is transcendent because the mercies of God are transcendent. God has saved our souls from hell. And he says true thankfulness causes one to get it, dedicate themselves entirely to God. Carnal thanksgiving allows one to dedicate oneself to self, to self-love. Uh, but God wants more of that from us. So let's talk about these directives, these 18 directives here. Directive number one, first of all, understand how great a duty it is to give thanks to God. Understand how great a duty it is to give thanks to God. Baxter says we are obliged to incessant thanksgiving because we are so dependent upon God. Boys and girls, you and I cannot do anything apart from the blessing of God. Um, I was texting with somebody this week as I was feeling a bit miserable. Um, it made me think uh, of them who suffers, you know, with the breathing. And I was thinking, you know, I'm so congested this week, constantly having to clear myself and laboring a bit just with breath. And, and I said, you know, it made me realize that I, I take breathing for granted, I said to them. I, I said, you know, they're just, if you've never struggled uh, with breathing or asthma or something like that, you know, you just take it for granted. But yet, even this a blessing, it, it comes from God on, on a regular basis. We are dependent upon God for every breath, every beat of our heart. We are maintained every moment, says Baxter, by God. We are fed daily by God. We uh, are maintained, Baxter says, by the bounty of God. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you have this list of terrible sins that unbelievers uh, regularly commit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but devoid of its power. 
All those sins. Did you catch the sin that I skipped in that list? Yes, ungrateful, unthankful. Baxter says, listen to that list of sins. And that Paul almost sneaks in there, ungrateful, unthankful with what he says, what Baxter calls this great uh, listed great sinners and unholy monsters, he says. Baxter says that the design of God in redemption, that is our salvation in Jesus Christ, the design of God in redemption via the gospel is to raise man to highest thankfulness. And so gratitude is a general duty of, God, of the gospel. The gift of mercy is, says Baxter, the predominant and eminent part of the gospel. That is, we know we live by grace through Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace alone. We were chosen and elected to salvation by grace alone. It was not for anything within us. And so we are called to thankful obedience in this. Baxter says that obedience, evangelical obedience and thankfulness must be conjoined. That is, they must be brought together. We must repent of sin, but it must be, he says, a thankful repentance. What is saving faith? It is but even the assent to the truth of the gospel with thankful, says Baxter, thankful acceptance of Christ as Savior with the benefits of his redemption. You know, we've seen this passage before where Jesus heals the ten lepers. And the ten lepers, all of them, as R.C. Sproul likes to note, were very happy about being healed. They were all glad about it. They were all excited about it. But what was the difference? The difference was that one of the ten came back to thank the Lord. One came back and, and showed a thankful gratitude to Jesus Christ. We were once the enemies of God by nature, and we have been forgiven by him. God has forgiven and pardoned the debt that we owe, and he has made us his children instead of being his enemies. He's adopted us, so we ought to go back to him with gratitude for that. So understand how great a duty is. That's number one. Number two, <clears throat> let the greatness of the manifold mercies of God be continually before your eyes. Let the greatness of the manifold mercies of God be continually before your eyes. What does this mean? Well, more simply, Baxter says that thankfulness is caused by a due apprehension of the greatness, the largeness of the mercies that you have. The love of God in giving you, says Baxter, a redeemer. Think about the fact that God has given you Jesus Christ to redeem you. The love of Jesus Christ in giving his life for you. God the Father gives the Son to you. The Son gives his life to you. The Spirit gives of himself to dwell within you and seal you to this great salvation. Think about the covenant of grace that God has entered into. When our first parents fell into sin 
and transgressed, that could have been the end of the story. God could have driven them from the garden, left them under the curse of this world, left them ultimately to die uh, with all their prodigy, and then damn all of them to eternity in perdition. That could have been. And God would have been perfectly just and holy to do so. God would have, there would have been, nobody could have complained if the entire human race was in hell. Because that's what we earned. That's what we deserve. That's what we have done with our lives. That's what we've merited with our lives. The whole human race, I just read this week, apparently we, we have crossed the 8 billion or about to cross the 8 billion mark for how many people are living on this planet right now. All 8 billion of us deserve to be eternally separated from God for our sins. There is none righteous, no, not one. And yet God has given us free grace in Jesus Christ. He makes a new covenant. After our first parents sin in the garden, he makes a new covenant with them and says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That seed of the woman, of course, is Jesus Christ who crushes the head of Satan by his death and resurrection. You have a complete pardon of sins. If you are in Jesus Christ this morning, there is not one outstanding sin or transgression that is being accounted against you. you your, your account book has been completely cleared. Your, your record is spotless before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you and because the blood of Christ is atoned for all the past sin. You are under no condemnation on this day in November, nor will you ever be under any condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You are completely justified. You've been brought into the family of God. You are adopted. You are a child. You are a son, a daughter of God. Baxter says you need to consider the mercies of God not only in these great redemptive themes that the Bible teaches, but also in the disposition of providence for your salvation. Just think over your life. How did you come to know the true and the living God through Jesus Christ? For some of you, many of you, it was through your parents. You came to know Jesus Christ by way of your parents. For some of you, it was through a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or it was a college campus minister. It was, but God used someone in your life to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. Notice all the different ways in which God steered you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How God providentially put people in your path. You had conversations that you weren't expecting to have. You had people say things that rang true in your heart, uh, that things that uh, you weren't considering. You had people give you a Bible or give you a book or give you a sermon to listen to. And you listened to it and it changed your life. Uh, you, had, you had all kinds of things. You had friends who said, let's go to a Bible study and let's go to the, visit this church. And even if that friend or, you know, a person who invited you is no longer walking with the Lord, that God used that in your life. 
to bring you. The purpose was for you to know Jesus Christ. God was the one who changed your will. God was the one who opened your heart. God was the one who gave you the gift of repentance. God is the one who was, is mortifying sin in your life. He's the one that's purifying you. He's the one that's dwelling in you. Think about how God has led you uh, through the years, decades in his church. Many of you have had a number of faithful pastors over the years. You've had the benefit and the comfort of the Bible all your life. You know, there are people who have never had their own Bible who are Christians, and they would love to have a Bible in their own language. You've had the Bible. You've had the sacraments, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. From the very earliest memories, you've seen these ordinances before you. Um, you've had the public communion and fellowship of God's people. You've enjoyed the company of those who also feared God. You know, what a blessing that is. There are Christians, they're so few in number that they don't get much fellowship. There's just not many other Christians living in their area, living in their, in their culture. And, and so they, they have, you know, very little fellowship uh, much of the week. Um, you've been blessed to live among people who could give you faithful admonitions, even reproofs at times. The kindness they've showed to your body and to your soul, says Baxter. Then he says here, um, the mercies that God has shown you uh, with regard to various uh, relations, habitations, your estates, notable alterations and passages in your life. God did things in your life that were great, turned out to be great blessings uh, for you and for your family. Maybe it was a move. Maybe it was a job transfer. And maybe, maybe it was something unexpected. And it turned out to be one of the greatest life-changing, providential uh, course changes that you've ever known. Baxter says, consider the manifold preservations and deliverances of your own soul. How many times at one time were you considering something that now as you look back, you're, you're horrified that you would have considered this error? Maybe, maybe it was a cult at one time that you were considering, you know, uh, going to their, their, uh, their place and listening to those errors. Maybe it was a, a false teacher that you thought, well, could this guy be true? And you started to think along those lines. And then you had a friend come along and say, man, stay away from that guy. Um, how many distresses and dangerous temptations, Baxter says, has God brought you out of? How many soul-wounding sins has he delivered you from? Um, we have not been left completely to the errors of our own life, the desires of our own heart. God has not forsaken us. We've been delivered in our body from diseases at times, hurts, distresses, sicknesses, even death itself. Some of you are alive today. If you had lived in a different century, you would not be alive right now. Some of you, some of you have been, some of you are here today because you were born in the 20th or 21st century. Um, that's probably true for a lot of us, actually. 
And I, as, as one who is himself 55 now, and I'm, I'm, you know, starting to get to the age where, okay, you know, this is when Calvin died, this is when Edwards died, this is when, you know, I'm looking at all the, <laughs> the notables in uh, church history, and you're like, eh, okay, thank you, Lord, for longevity, too. Now, they were way more productive than me, so I, God knows I need a lot more time here. <laughs> <laughs> Think about the, the mercies, even of adversity. Um, how even adversity proved in, in the end to be wholesome uh, for your walk with Christ. The support, the comfort through it all. Um, you think Baxter says, note here that the times that God was in communion with you in private, in public duties, in prayer, those special seasons uh, where the sacrament was a great blessing to you, a certain sermon was a great blessing to you. It met you right at the moment, that, that word of counsel that you got from somebody else, all that ordained by God for you. He says, consider the use that God has made of you for the good of others. Not only have you received all kinds of blessings, but you have been a blessing to many, many others. I remember Sinclair Ferguson saying that he thinks one of the great consolations that God gives us anytime a loved one of ours dies is at the funeral. And we hear from people who visited, sometimes we're surprised by who shows up to those funerals. And then we're also then surprised at some of the things they note about our loved one who died, and, and we were like, I never knew that about them. And yet they were a blessing in a particular way in somebody's life, enough so that they wanted to go to the funeral and communicate that back to the family. That's why we should go to as many funerals as we can. Uh, one of the many reasons. You have been used for good in the lives of others. Your time in here on earth has not been lost. Um, <clears throat> think about how God has been patient and forbearing with us. Uh, many times we have been, as the servant says, unprofitable and even provocative towards God and His justice. Uh, but God has renewed His mercies notwithstanding our abuse of those mercies. Um, our hopes, um, we got, God has given us many hopes of everlasting rest and glory when we end this sinful life uh, of ours. Uh, we have that promise. So, number one, uh, understand how great the duty of thankfulness is. Number two, let the greatness of the manifold mercies of God be before your eyes. Number three, be well acquainted with the greatness of your own sins as they are an aggravation of God's mercies to you. God does not delight in your sorrow, but he will help you rightly esteem the saving mercies of Jesus Christ. We at times need to be reminded what sin really is and the number of our aggravations against God. 
That will help us to see how merciful God is. Richard Baxter says that the humble soul is a thankful soul. And so God will acquaint us occasionally with the greatness of our sins so that we also would see the great mercies in Jesus Christ. Directive number four, understand the misery from which you have been delivered. The greatness of your sins means that your sins deserve a great punishment. You, though, have been delivered from that punishment in Jesus Christ. Now, you and I may be chastened under his fatherly rod, but we are not being punished as our sins actually deserve. The pardon has been secured through Jesus Christ's perfect life, his uh, substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection. All of this brings the believer eternal life who trusts in Jesus Christ. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. You think about this, Baxter you know, recommends using a sanctified imagination, uh, much the way Edwards did, too. Uh, and he says, you know, think about if you had to go to hell for one day. Think about what that would be like to experience the judgment and the wrath and fury of God. Even for one day, he says, consider the, the cries and the shrieks and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth going on among sinners who are under this judgment of God. And 10 billion years later, and you're no closer to the end. And Baxter says, consider what it would be like if you went just for one day into hell, but God would let you come back. How would that change your life? He says, think about what the people in hell right now would give to hear this sermon. How attentive would the people in hell be, he said, if they had just one opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has rescued you from this everlasting torment. And when you think about eternity, it tends to put life in its proper perspective. We have been delivered from an eternal misery, and we ought to be eternally grateful. Directive number five, says Baxter, he says, imagine getting a look at hell or being in hell yourself. I got a little ahead of myself in my notes here. That was directive number five. Number six, he says, keep certain the evidences of your title to the mercies of Jesus Christ. He says, keep certain the evidences of your title to the mercies of Christ. That is, know that you are in Jesus Christ. He says, beware of satanic suggestions which cause you to think the mercies of Christ are not available to you. Don't allow yourself through some kind of melancholy or uh, hopelessness to think that, that Jesus Christ has not died for you. That Jesus sincerely offers himself to every sinner who will repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ says, come unto me, ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You are not beyond the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. The mercy of Christ is far beyond all your sins. Do not consider your case hopeless 
but recognize the width, depth, and breadth of God's love. Remind yourself, if you are in Christ, of your precious position in Jesus Christ as one who is justified, sanctified, adopted, and glorified, to use the language of Paul in Romans 8.29. Directive number seven, think much of personal mercy shown up, shown from your youth up. Think much of personal mercy shown from your youth up. That is, Baxter encourages us to think about our own lives providentially. How many of you can think back on your life about the great care and kindnesses of God in your past? Now, Baxter says that the greatest mercies are the common ones shared by all Christians, regeneration, faith, sanctification, adoption. But he says, but there's also personal favors that are for you, that are unique to your life uh, that God providentially ordered. He says, Christians should mark God's dealings with them and write down the great and notable mercies of their lives. Uh, we should be those who reflect on the things that God has done in our life and how he's changed our lives and how God you know, brought us to certain places and put certain people in our lives, how God you know, delivered us from things, foolish things that we used to do as kids, and how God you know, brought us to Christ, etc. You have unique personal mercies that have been shown to you that are part of your own gratitude to him. Number eight, compare your proportion of mercies with the rest of the peoples of the world. Um, I, this is one of my favorite directives of Baxter's. He basically says here, um, he's, he, first of all, he says, one in a thousand people don't have as many blessings as you do. And, and my favorite illustration of this is he says, think about if you could add up all the blessings and mercies of God that he gives to all eight billion of us. And he says, let's suppose that God divides those mercies and blessings equally among the eight billion of us. Do you think you have more or less than you presently do? Now, it's not even close for us as American Christians. If God were to divide all the blessings and mercies of the world among eight billion people, <laughs> you would be foolish to say, I'll take the average we have been greatly, greatly blessed above all others as believers in Jesus Christ living in the United States. Baxter says, small part of the world that are Christians, first of all. He says, so few of those Christians are orthodox. That is, they're right, so few of them are right in their theology. Of those who are orthodox, fewer are reformed. Of those Christians who are Orthodox and Reformed, few are seriously godly. And even fewer among these do not fall into perplexities, errors, scandals, great afflictions, and distresses. He says, you have cause for wondrous thankfulness to God. How many thousands in the world have less of the gospel and grace than you do? That's directive number eight. Number nine. He says, compare these mercies you want to those you possess. 
Now, what Baxter is saying here is think about all the blessings that you have and compare it to the things you don't. That is, all of us have things that we could wish were different. He says, but when you compare the number and quality of these blessings, um, you'll see that often the mercies of God are far outweighing the things we want. He says, for example, how many meals of plenty have you eaten in your lifetime versus how many days of scarcity and pinching hunger? How many days, and he's not talking about days where you voluntarily fasted, but how many days did you have all that you could want in terms of food versus days that you didn't? How many days, he said, even if we struggle in health, how many days of health compared to the days of sickness have we had? He says, even if you have one heavy cross to bear, that is, you've got one, one heavy cross, one thing that is, is a hardship in your life. He says, how many crosses do you not have to carry, which you deserve? Yes, he's acknowledging that for some and many there is that one thing that is outstanding, that we could want, that is lawful, that is a blessing that we don't have. But he says, when you compare that to the number of things you don't have to carry, he says, we there too should see uh, how good we have it. <coughs> Directive number 10. Think how you would value your mercies if you were deprived of them. He says, think how you would value your mercies if you were deprived of them. He says, the want of mercies teaches us most effectually to esteem them. Here's a quote. Think how you would value Christ and hope if you were in despair. How you would value the mercies of earth if you were in hell. And this is Baxter speaking here. And the mercies of England if you were among the bloody inquisitors and persecutors and wicked and cruel heathens or Muslims and then he says or brutish savage Americans remember he's writing in the 1640s here so. <laughs> I don't think he was talking about the Puritans and the pilgrims but, uh, but he said here you know think about all the different places you could have been born and raised, you know, in superstition, idolatry, ignorance, poverty, and the rest that comes with it. And, and he's saying to, you know, his contemporaries, you who live in England, um, consider all the blessings of what it means to be a, a Christian Englishman. Um, you're, not, you're not, you know, facing the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, you're not under some kind of cruelty and wicked. Uh, tyrants, you're not uh, born in a land of idolatry as much of the Middle East is under the false prophet Muhammad. Um, you're not given to animism like some pagan tribes that, you know, barely eke out a living for themselves, much less uh, can be productive. So we have a lot to be grateful for. He says, think how good sleep would seem if you were deprived 
of sleep by pain or sickness. Think how good food or drink or clothes or house or friends would seem if it were taken away from you. Um, think much on how, how much you would uh, prize health if you were under some great sickness like cancer or paralysis. What mercy time would seem if death were at hand. Time was imminently ending. Well, we're going to have to uh, maybe finish later, but let me give you just one or two more, and we'll close and come to the table. Directive number 11. Let heaven ever be, he says, in your eye. Think of endless joy you will have with Jesus Christ. Eternity with Jesus Christ is the mercy of all mercies, he says. He who has this hope in Jesus Christ truly still has reason for the highest and joyful thanks. Whatever worldly thing he or she wants, if we have Jesus Christ, we have everything. He says, he is unthankful indeed who will not be thankful for heaven. The more believing and heavenly minded the mind is, the more thankful a person can be. And then directive number 12, we'll, we'll stop here, we'll pick up maybe tonight. Look at present earthly mercies in connection with heaven. Look at present earthly mercies in connection with heaven. These mercies are to lead you to heaven. He says, all the blessings that God gives you, all that God gives you and more is to lead you closer to him. He says, take every bit from your father's hand. Remember, he, God, feeds, God clothes, God protects you. Go to him, therefore, for your daily bread. Taste his love in it. I think that's a great thought as we come to the Lord's table. Taste the love of God in the blessing of the sacrament. How good is this blessing, says Baxter, with the love of God? This and heaven are enough for me. That was a famous prayer of a simple Puritan man and he prayed before he ate his little bread and soup. He said, all this and heaven too. He said, coarse fare, that is not the finest food. Coarse clothing, you who grow up with second-handed clothing, hand-me-downs. Coarse usage of the world, hard labor, poor habitation. With heaven, it is a mercy beyond all human estimation or conceiving. Even, he says, even if you don't have the best of everything in this world, with Jesus Christ, you do have everything that is truly best.